5: No limitations apply for Shannon Spake at Shannon Spake on Twitter. I just tweeted out her handle if you want to go find her. Shannon, what in the world's going on with your sport? We got fake racing and people are losing sponsors over the fits that they throw during it. Is this real?
6: Yeah, I think it is Clay. I really do. By the way, I do get tagged as well in People are that.
5: angry at you for being on oh. the show or being associated with me.
6: I feel bad I have for been people. Tagged, yeah.
5: I feel mm-hmm. bad for people catching flack over their connection to me. Like they don't you don't do anything. Like it happens for people who are on our uh on our television show, people who are on the radio show. Like it's one thing if you're mad at me. But people are so mad at me now that they go find people who work, or sometimes they don't even. You just come on the show, like they go find people who come on the show, and they're <laughs> mad at you
6: for going on the show. Yeah, I just mute it if it, if it gets out of hand. But sometimes they're funny. I mean, I yeah. think sometimes when people are really angry and and they make yeah. like just funny comments, I, I can find the humor in it. Um, yeah. So whatever. Uh, but yes, it is real. This is real. So uh, last I thought it had to be staged. Uh, no, listen, so it did not. He lost a sponsor. I yeah. mean, he rage quits, right? So this is a thing that I learned last night. I did not actually know that this was a term, but it is, calling rage quit. Let me, it's let, a, it's a,
5: let me cut you off yeah. there. 90% yeah. of my parenting since the quarantine began – has been <laughs> screaming at my 12-year-old to stop rage quitting on Madden when he's playing people online and things aren't going well. I'm Got not it. kidding. I think his mom, uh, my wife, is going to strangle him to death like uh, like over this thing. Like She is like, I can't even deal with it, this Madden stuff. I mean, he gets so mad. And yes, the rage quit is a term that they use all the time where, you know, like when I was playing, sometimes a kid would get angry. And like when I was growing up, like every now and then somebody would break a controller because they were so mad, like they'd throw the mm-hmm. controller over how games are going. So effectively, that's what happened here, right?
6: Yeah, so I haven't played video games since like Super Mario Brothers yeah. back in like seventh and eighth grade. It's been a really long time. Uh but yeah, so he he rage quits, right? And so this isn't the first time it happened, right? I think Chase Elliott may have um had a little bit of a bout of this when, when this first started, the iRacing stuff. Uh but the fact that he I, I guess he went on Twitter and kind of was was saying things to fans on Twitter. His sponsor, which th- these guys are paying legitimate dollars to be on these rigs for this iRacing racing event, he got very very upset and and said that they were going to, they're dumping him, which is crazy because NASCAR and racing is so unlike other sports. And people always talk about the access that we get to the drivers. And a lot of that access has to do with the fact that they represent companies. They're, they're sponsored, they yep. have to get their names out there. They are more like, um, like, for, like, they're, they're faces for companies, right? Jimmy Johnson forever was the face of Lowe's. Tony yep. Stewart was the face of Home Depot. People purchase stuff based on how much. They like or dislike drivers. And so sponsorship makes the NASCAR world go round. So, yeah, it, I was at first, listen, I was like, is this for real? When I saw this, I thought it out, was a brilliant um,
5: like staging to get attention totally. story.
6: 100%. I, I even had to ask people that were in like some of our newsbreakers, I was like, is this really, really, really happening? Or are they just putting this out there? Um, it, did somebody make this up? But it really, really happened. He lost sponsorship dollars, which is a big deal. It's a big deal right now, um, but it's a big deal in, in the grand scheme of, of NASCAR as well, because sponsor dollars are what get that car on the track. It, it's what puts drivers in the seat, relationships with those sponsors, the money that comes in for those cars. And so it's a big deal. And it's a big deal that it's crossed over to the virtual world while we're all sort of trying to get a release. It just shows how important this iRacing deal really is uh, to, to the sponsors and to NASCAR.
5: Are you feeling better? I know they've got they're taking off Easter this weekend, and then there's mm-hmm. I racing, I believe, scheduled for the weekend after. Are you feeling as you look at these numbers start to come in? Are you feeling much better about the idea of NASCAR coming back? And have you heard any kind of conversations? About, I know NASCAR wants to get. I believe you said a while mm-hmm. ago their whole schedule in, which would yeah. mean that they've got to really kind of uh, get back as soon as they can. Are you getting optimistic that in May or June? nascar is going to officially be back
6: listen i heard you talking early on the show right about you know optimism and 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 i am running around singing the sun will come out tomorrow anyone that knows me knows that i am glass half full i am optimistic i am a ray of sunshine most of the time but i also ask the question what if a lot right so what if i just want to know like what if this happens so what if it starts to go back the other way what if and maybe that's the mom and me maybe maybe right um but I, those are the questions that i ask i love the way that it's going but i also know that we are in an extreme time that's making these numbers go down right none of us are leaving our houses and yeah. we do some of us are wearing, you know, masks. Uh, masks. Yes. Some of us are wearing, you know, uh, Halloween masks. What do you think um, about
5: my wife's idea? Do you think I that, think I works. mean, I know you're not a, a doctor, <laughs> but it seems to me like if I wore a Darth Vader mask to the grocery store, uh-huh. that would protect me more than a cloth mask would.
6: I think people would stay away from you. Yeah, I think that the, the six feet right? would definitely.
5: I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm. but I mean, if you think about it, like if you remember, like uh, we used to wear those old awful plastic Halloween masks. Do you remember like, uh, you know? Like, oh yeah. I remember dressing up as, like, Spider-Man and thinking it was a Smurf, I think. Like, I mean, it was really pretty crappy. And, like, they were so plastic, like, if you put them on, that it would be, like, I, there's no telling how many years of our lives we gave up just breathing in whatever those masks were made of. You remember how hot they were? And, like, they were, like, oh, yeah. cheap and everything else. And, like... And now I see my kids' costumes, and I'm like, man, this is badass. Like, my kids, <laughs> when they dress up as, uh, as, like, superheroes, like, that's what we wanted to look like when we were walking around in our cardboard, you know, like, superhero costumes back in the day. Um, but, uh, but it seems to me like a Halloween mask would protect you more than just a cloth mask would.
6: But yeah, I think people would definitely keep their distance. Uh, I'm making my husband wear a mask. You know, he's um, we're building a home, and they're still going. The, the yeah, right. Uh, I should have mentioned them early
5: to start the show. Everywhere I drive – uh, in my neighborhood, yeah. people are just like hammering away. They haven't stopped working at all, building homes.
6: Absolutely, which is great. My sister's husband is actually, you know, he he's in construction, and so you know that was something that they really feared a lot was yeah. was having him be out of work. Uh, but my my husband wears wears a mask and he goes over to the construction site just because I told him like we're not going anywhere. The boys aren't going anywhere, and we just don't know, right? Like what if that's my question all the time? But um, I would really like to say I I, I kind of feel deep in my heart I agree with you. Maybe June. Maybe June uh, through May, we'll, we'll kind of be um, be doing this, but we're we're making hub right. And and I know I think I mentioned to you that that I have, I'm starting to work on this. Um, I, I do a piece during the NFL season. It's a pretty light piece. It's a pretty quick piece where I do these sort of like rapid fire questions with NFL players. Well, uh, Fox is allowing me to do it in a little bit more of a long form now. And so I I, I talked to Jay Wright yesterday, the head coach of Villanova. on oh, cool. um, Men's basketball. We spent about ten or fifteen minutes. Um, John Calipari. I'm gonna I'm gonna chat with him tomorrow. I got Bill Self coming up. Um, I'm going to try to get some NFL players and I'm going to open it up to like, you know, people outside just the sports world. I think it'd be fun to kind of find out how people are doing and, and just kind of get a little bit of a, of a sense of, of what those guys are doing and how they're handling this, especially with their players. I think that's so interesting, right? I was speaking with one of my producers, like, like, NFL players you know college college football players college basketball players this is all they've had their entire life is basketball right they they go out they play with their buddies all they have is basketball. All they have is this sport. And a lot of people, that's their release, and especially for us. And now it's taken away. So how um, how, how are these coaches kind of remaining um, in their lives and, and, and continuing to keep these guys up? Uh, but I had a great convo with Jay Wright. I, I think he's just the coolest of the cool. i uh, been so blessed to be able to cover him over the years. And uh, we talked about the 2016 uh, championship, which I was actually behind uh, the, the Carolina bench, about five feet behind the Carolina bench when, when Christian Jenkins hit that shot uh, so I was able to talk to to Jay about that which I thought was really cool
5: uh, Howard Stern is going to be interviewing Tom Brady I think yes. today uh, yes. and I don't blame anybody <laughs> who wants to go listen to that instead of listening to me because I'll probably listen to it later today how much news do you Brady has typically never said anything like i can't even think of anything that brady's ever said in an interview that's been actual news in his entire career right like and he's been doing interviews for like 20 years in terms of like oh my god i can't believe tom brady said x you cover the nfl can you ever remember like an oh my god i can't believe tom brady said anything story that's existed throughout his whole career
6: no, because he's been on you know, lockdown. You know what I'm yeah. saying? He's been on personality lockdown. It, and is that the Belichick New England thing, right? Has that now lifted? Is, is he now going to become – and I think when, when he did his um, uh, his series, his reality series, yeah. or his, his, I, he, we got to know him a little bit better than I think we ever did, right? He was so, so sort of mysterious. Furious for so long both him and Giselle and I feel like he opened the door a little bit Uh, but I definitely think Tom Brady is setting himself up for life post NFL and who knows how uh, revealing he might be like do you think if you you were
5: setting odds right now do you think we will open with something that Tom Brady says on Howard Stern as our lead on the program tomorrow
6: I'm going to say yes. I yeah. hope so. Oh my god! I, I listen. I've I've been on the Howard Stern wrap-up show before. Um, uh, Gary DeLabate, Um yep. I, I I I reached out to him and I was just like yes because I think <laughs> I mean I've listened my to my wife Howard is a huge a really, really fan. Long time totally. And this is a huge get because I feel like he will have the opportunity to kind of do that. He, listen, when you have an hour and you don't have to go to break yeah. and there's no camera in front of, you know, now they obviously have the cameras inside the studio. It sets up perfectly for people to feel very relaxed. And, um, I can't wait to hear it.
5: You're going to come on with us next week. We'll talk about it. If it's really wild, Let's we might even bring it. you in tomorrow to break down what Tom Brady said.
6: <laughs> I am all about it. I'm all about it. How's the quarantine going to kids?
5: My wife and my three boys have a lied against me. I'm not a cat guy, right? I, I don't think that I've ever had a cat. Uh, certainly not since I've become on my own, you know, like at 18 years old plus. My wife told me uh, on our 15th wedding anniversary that when I died, she was going to get a cat. She'd already thought and decided. It was really romantic of her. Um, and then uh, she's done something pretty unbelievable. She has now gotten all the kids Involved, and she had them give, you know, like she's got them like in school, uh, so they're trying to learn, and they have to do different projects different days, so that they have stuff. Like she's kind of uh, being the teacher right now, and a couple days ago, she had them as their project. All three of them had to present a oral report on why the family needs a cat. So I don't even know. So now everything I do, one of the good things about the quarantine is because nobody's busy like we don't have any events like kids little league and all this stuff so we eat dinner together every single night which is phenomenal i love it but Mm -hmm. every single dinner is just the kids peppering me with questions about when we're going to get a cat i'm allergic by the way so i just keep saying because i'm (laughs) allergic to cats i don't want one what do i do here
6: oh well listen hey i'm gonna i'm gonna toe the line of, of adoption right now this is the time to adopt a pet you know now, this is exactly there, what I've um, been
5: argued this is what's being argued that yeah. you're not helping me any here
6: my husband's allergic to cats as well I had cats growing up I'm not a cat person now I think I've told you I have three dogs if I could adopt another dog right now I would but I've got two dogs that are close to 16 years old that are a ton of work you know what you need to do is, have you seen Joe Rogan's comedy, uh, his, his, like, recent special? He does this whole skit about cats that's hilarious. <laughs> you need to go watch this. No, but, I, you hey, know, listen to me. I don't know what to I, do.
5: I've never been in a situation where the entire house is badgering me all day long, every day, about needing something. And I really legitimately do not want a cat in the house.
6: Are you allergic to all cats? Because my husband is just allergic to, like, it, it's funny because he's been around some cats where he's like, I'm not allergic to this cat at all. And then he's around some that he's about to die, well, right? This is uh, so,
5: the problem so is that part cats. of the report is that there are now hypoallergenic cats, according yes. to my sons. And so I legitimately don't know because I don't think they had hypoallergenic oh. cats when I was a kid.
6: I, they're called like I think they're the bald cats, right? Is, are they the sphinxes that are like the ones like the Mister Mister Bigglesworth from? Um...
5: Yeah, I don't think it's just the bald cat. That would be an amazing. Uh, that would be an amazing addition. No, I think there's like a. Uh, the, I can't even remember what it's called I, I, because I've tried to pretend that this hasn't happened to me. But yeah, they, like they're not awake yet in my house. But the minute they're awake, like my five year old to come upstairs and tell me that he needs uh, yeah. that he needs breakfast. And that he wants a cat, like that'll be the first thing that he'll say. Dad, can I make me breakfast? And I want a cat. So I don't even know what to do at this point.
6: It honestly seems like a, a argument that you're not going to be able to win. Yeah. Um, yeah, it it does. Uh, if all the kids are on board, and, and and you know what, it might be a good opportunity to teach them some, uh, you know, how to like clean the litter box and, and that type of thing. If, if they do it right, my son, he he handles like feeding the dog. That's the dogs. That's one of his chores. So um, and he and he loves them. But uh, yeah, it just sounds to me like an argument you're not going to win. It sounds like it sounds like Laura Travis is going to win this one, Clay.
5: Yeah, well, she wins every argument. I don't think Dad yeah. has won any argument in the <laughs> household since you know for the last 15 years, effectively. So good this luck. is going to be brutal i because i remember like when we were when i was engaged with her uh we stayed at her dad's house and at the time her dad was dating a woman who had like 50 i felt like like 50 cats in the house and they i remember they slept uh in the bed that we were sleeping in Ugh. and yeah. i still remember waking up and i thought that i like i there was so much cat hair in the bed like I, I remember waking up and I legitimately thought that there was no way I was going to be able to like I thought I was dying of cat hair and like it's still in my mind I remember how awful that was so this is going to be my life now this is what I think now because the cats. that'll be the hard
6: part right cats yeah. always
5: <laughs> love the people who like them the least so this cat's going to spend all of its time all around me and so I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to be able to talk on the show
6: cats are very sweet but the problem is if you do like have a really bad allergy like allergic reactions to this specific cat that you decide to get like I mean you might have to send it back right I mean if you can't live in your house and that (laughs) way They're going like, to send me out of no. the house instead of the cat. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to
5: buy a house next door and live there because they can have a cat.
6: <laughs> you you live downstairs, Clay, and, and and the rest of the family will live. <laughs> in I'm going to get a cat
5: divorce. Uh, Shannon Spake, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the uh, Tom right. Brady and uh, Howard Stern interview. And thanks for getting up early with us.
3: This is Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis.
5: Good news coming in on the coronavirus front. So far, the story, I would say, the primary story of the week in the world of sports has been the PGA, the Major League Baseball, NBA, the uh, NHL, UFC with their fight island that we're still waiting to find out exactly where it is. Everybody has been working on trying to get back to sports. You just heard us talking with Shannon Spake about NASCAR and what they will do going forward. They're obviously doing the iRacing right now. The IMHE forecast, the University of Washington's model that has been cited by the White House as the best projection for what the coronavirus uh, is likely to entail in this country, has just updated overnight while many of us were sleeping And that update is a good one. Uh, Initially, if you'll remember, if you followed the White House closely, um, they said between 100,000 and 240,000 people would die from the coronavirus based on the model there. They cut it on Sunday night late to 80,000 deaths, 81,000, I believe, to be more precise. They now have cut it to 60,000 deaths. And they are projecting significantly that basically by mid-May, this thing is over. And by June 1, there are almost no deaths in the entire country from the coronavirus. This is the most accurate forecast according to the White House. Remember, initially, the forecast was over 2 million Americans were going to die from the coronavirus. Now the forecast is down to 60,000 Or less because this model could still be revised down significantly every model out there that I have seen almost has all forecast uh, coming down in other words instead of you know the numbers continuing to grow we've gone from 2 million plus all the way down to now 60,000 which is why if you are a sports league right now again by June 1 this thing is forecasting nine deaths in the entire country from the coronavirus. Nine. N-I-N-E. Less than ten. By June 1. So, if you are a sports league, I would think you have to be hitting the ground running right now to plan for your league to be back at some point in June and certainly by July. Now, I don't know what that means in terms of crowds at sporting events, but I would imagine most leagues will start off without crowds present, maybe throughout June. There could be an argument based on the data that by July 4th, we could have crowds back. I Imagine how big of a surprise, uh, how big of an exciting day that would be if leagues were able to pick July 4th as a day when crowds can officially go back into stadiums for baseball and basketball and soccer and hockey and everything else, I can imagine that that would be a great day of national celebration for sports. That's what I would kind of put out there. I talked about this yesterday as sort of a whisper ideal goal for when crowds could come back, maybe July 4th, because that would give us all of June to basically ensure that we had stamped out the the coronavirus in the country. And then maybe by July 4th, we could be thinking, hey, crowds are able to come back again. Uh, I've been telling you that I expected sports to be back in June for a while. I still do. I think there's a possibility now from these numbers that sports could even be back in May. Uh, it, we're now to the point almost where some of these leagues are going to be up against it in terms of trying to get turned around and ready to go quickly. Uh, because we're sitting here at, what, April 8th? Um, you know, you figure that it's going to take several weeks minimum for these leagues to ramp up. Uh, but basically, according to the most recent version of this forecast, the entirety of the coronavirus outbreak is is essentially going to be over by the end of April. So we're talking about by the end of April, when the president has said, you know, the the, the stay-at-home suggestion, the order, whatever else, is out there. I believe it expires on April 30th right now. Uh, May 1, I believe, is a Friday. So I can see it easily being extended into to May 4th. But I think a lot of people out there across the country are going to be able to go back, depending on where you live. And obviously, it's going to be different based on what your mayor or your governor says. And that will certainly impact the world of sports as well. But there is a tremendous amount of optimism uh, out there Uh, that we've been sharing with you from the get-go, but now a lot of other people who have been doom and gloomers are coming out of their bunkers, they're coming out of their caves, and they're recognizing, oh, the world's not going to end here. Uh, The apocalypse, yet again, is not going to arrive, and those who are doom and gloomers, the fear porn, the negativity peddlers, are all suddenly realizing that they overreacted and we're going to be fine and people like me who've been saying that from the get-go guess what the optimist wins again so that is all very positive surrounding the world of sports and what's going on with the coronavirus i know a lot of you listen to us as you start off your mornings going to hospitals going to convenience stores going to grocery stores uh garbage men uh the people who are the heartbeat of our uh of our economy construction workers All of you who have been uh, deemed essential members of the labor force, you guys haven't gotten any time off at all, and uh, we salute you for keeping the country running. My job is not very significant in the grand scheme of things. None of our jobs are very significant in the grand scheme of things, but we do know that we are a voice of normalcy for many of you, and that's why I've said we're not going to miss any days as long as this coronavirus crisis is ongoing. We will be here with you. We've been here with you every day in March, even without sports. You guys have listened even more, uh, even though there's no sports, I think, again, that's a credit to the show. Um, and uh, and now the same thing is occurring in April as well. Uh, so we appreciate uh, all of you spending your mornings with, uh, with us. And I'm happy to be able to share that good news about the world of sports with you. Um, in fact, the influence and reach of this show has expanded quite a bit during the spring as, uh, as, as more people have become aware of the audience that OutKick brings to bear such that the White House has reached out. And so in the next segment, we're going to have uh, one of Donald Trump's communication uh, advisors, one of his top uh, people in his uh, administration and in his reelection campaign involved. Uh, he is going to join us. Uh, so that is going to be fantastic. He is Tim Murtaugh, his, uh, he's got a great sports background. We'll talk about that with him and then hopefully get some coronavirus uh, tips and suggestions from Tim. And then tomorrow, the Surgeon General of the United States is going to be coming on the program live uh, to talk with you guys about the coronavirus uh, and everything surrounding it. So again, that is a credit to you guys and uh, and how much our audience continues to grow uh, that the White House wants to be able to uh, to reach out and uh, and talk directly to you guys about how to respond uh, to the coronavirus. So I uh, appreciate all of you uh, for growing our audience to such an extent that the White House has taken note of it and wants to bring people on uh, and help uh, reach all of you. Uh, now, I want to bring in notorious cat owner, Danny G. What do you think? Because you just joined us to finish the hour. My family has gone to war with me over whether I should get a cat or not. And my wife is teaching the kids at home. Like a lot of you, our kids are being homeschooled because the schools are shut down. And the homeschool teacher is my wife. And she had the kids do a presentation on why the family needed a cat. The other day. And (laughs) all three kids, my 12, my nine and my five-year-old are literally badgering me about cats all day long. When are we going to get a cat? What kind of cat can we get? Dad, all the details you could possibly imagine about a cat. My wife has encouraged it. And now I'm being outvoted four to one consistently. I am allergic to cats and refuse to get one.
7: (laughs) My mom had this tradition when we were growing up. She would take us to the San Francisco zoo every summer. Yep. And the first thing we would do was run to the where the Black Panther was and the cheetah and the lion. So big cats were a thing. Like, yeah. we loved just watching them, and they were amazing to look at at the zoo. So naturally, we wanted a cat, too. And we bothered our mom, and she's like, no, pets are for outside. Yeah. And that was her thing the whole time. Pets are outside. Pets are for outside. So finally, she let us have a Siamese cat, and he was outdoor only. Man, best pet ever. So, when I got out on my own, I got a cat. Now, you can't just get a mutt, though, in my opinion, unless you're big into rescuing animals and all that, then you don't care. But you're allergic. So, there are some hypoallergenic cat breeds. Are they
5: really, though?
7: I think so, because, and you got to go short hair cat, because I get you. When you're talking about you don't want cat hair all over the place, you're going to have issues if you have a cat that has long hair. So, I've always had short haired cats. And cool-ass looking cats with good personalities. A Bengal cat could be a good way for you to go because they look like little cheetahs. They have the mannerisms of cheetahs, but you need some space for them because they love to run around. Yeah, They are active. The other cat for you, which wouldn't give you allergies, is a Russian Blue. That's another way to go. So I would recommend those two breeds. They cost a little bit of coin, but you have that. What
5: does a Russian Blue or a Bengal cat cost? $1,200. $1,200
7: $1,200. $1,200 yeah. for a cat? Yeah, for a purebred cat, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, hey, get what you pay for. Where
5: now, do they even now, have look, these? Do people in Nashville grow Russian cats?
7: There are some breeders out there. There's less of them now because of all of the, the state laws that have been passed to stop catteries. Oh, is that true? This was a big deal? Yeah, I mean, a few years back, I, I want to say maybe two decades ago, there were quite a few breeders, but now over the years, Those businesses have gone out of business because of all the laws and rules that have been passed. You could still find them though. I mean, you go on Craigslist under community and pets and you find people, but you got to make sure they have papers. You find out. Do you
5: think there are people listening to us right now who have cat breeding businesses?
7: Maybe, but there is a waiting list. You have to kind of stand in line and wait for them to have a litter. And then you, you know, they send you the email updates to give you the pictures. How does the cat get to you? Usually you put a, a down payment, a deposit down yeah. if you're waiting in line, and then you go and you get to choose the one out of the litter that ah, you want. okay. So for mine, I have an American short hair, full bred, and I drove to San Diego. What did you pay for your cat? I paid $1,100. You paid
5: $1,100 for a cat?
7: Yeah, this was three years ago. How
5: long does the cat live?
7: 20, 22 years oh, if wow, you take care time. of them. Yeah. yeah. My aunt had a cat that lived to be 25. Depends if you take care of their health. I, I Now, I'm with you on gross animal owners who have pet hair all over the place and you walk into their house yeah. or apartment and yeah, it smells like a pet. I can't, like I can't, pet. Yeah, I can't, I can't deal. I can't deal with that. My mom was a psycho with cleaning and she raised us to be that way. So I vacuum every day. I mop the floors every day. I clean the litter box every day. If you walk into my place, you don't even know I have a pet and I actually date, or tried to date a girl one time. It's funny, I was on my way to a Raiders game, so I had a long drive ahead of me, and she said, oh, why don't you just come over before your long drive and chill out with me? So I go over, get in her room, this is a new relationship, and I'm like, yeah, I'm in her room, lay down, she put this dog stare thing on her bed, and her dog jumps up on the bed, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm not down with people that have all this fur all over their bed. Now I'm going to a Raiders game, so I had black jeans, a black Raiders shirt. I'm not kidding you, Clay. I left her place, and I was at the gas station before my long drive up to Oakland. I was covered, yeah, head to toe it's in like dog my worst fur. Nightmare. I wanted to puke. You couldn't even see my black jeans. It was it was a layer of white dog fur. Uh, I never went back to my her worst place. Nightmare. Never went back to her place after that. So yeah, you have to be vigilant with the cleaning and the vacuuming. Does it
5: sound crazy to you, Dub, that cats cost eleven or $1,200?
3: Well, I've actually just now got it on Google to kind of check out all these different cat breeds, and there's some pretty cool ones. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I heard of dogs that are, you know, really yeah. expensive, too. So, I guess it doesn't really surprise me all that much that there'd be, you know, cats as well on the expensive side of the price scale. So, I mean, if you're going to get a cat, you might as well get one that, uh, you know, make a good investment on it.
5: All right, listen. Anybody out there listening right now, what are the names of the cats?
7: Bengal or yep. Russian blue?
5: If you, this is, I, I, for this, this feels like Joe Exotic. <laughs> if you are in the Nashville area, meaning you are within a couple of hours of me, and you have the, I feel like I'm ordering drugs. You have the Russian blue or you have the Bengal, and you breed these cats, slide into my DMs.
3: Make sure you don't order some other kind of Russian I blue. I feel like the wife. Russian
5: blue is like, I, there's <laughs> no telling. There. It sounds like a really creepy, uh, you know, like uh, like finishing move uh, that that uh, that like the 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 KGB has. Uh, we're just gonna rush and blue him, and then you never see him again, and he just vanishes. Uh, I I don't know if I trust these cats in the house, um, but I, if you have one of these cats, if you have it, what do they call a cattery? Yeah, I feel like this is Joe Exotic. This is like the, uh, the this is like when he's going around trying to buy the Bengal tigers. I, that's, that. One of my responses was, well, we, I, I'm fine with getting a cat, but we have to get a tiger. Because I thought that might clean up the, you have to get a cat angle. Because my wife would be like, we can't have a tiger.
7: You would love Bengal cats. During our, our next pause here to help our advertisers out, Google Bengal cat and look at all of the badass patterns on all of these cats. And the thing with them, too, they have really good personalities as well.
5: Do you guys have, anybody else have cats? No, I don't. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because you're not psycho like Danny G. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We are joined now by Tim Murtaugh, who is a part of the Donald Trump 2020 presidential campaign. And Tim, you have an interesting background in and of yourself. uh, And this is kind of crazy. Your uh, grandfather was a manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. His name was Danny Murtaugh. He was the manager of the Pirates for 15 seasons in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and won the World Series twice in 1960 and 1971, and uh, that was the famous Bill Mazeroski home run in the bottom of the ninth of Game 7 in 1960. So it was, uh, it was a fun way to, to grow up as a kid, you know, having Grandpa running a Major League Baseball team. and He had some great players, Clemente and Stargell and Mazeroski, and whole bunch of others but uh it was so uh, really great when people remember him it's been a long time now
5: uh were you and are you still a pittsburgh pirate fan as a result
0: yes uh, it, it's a hard life being a pirates fan for sure because you know the good the good years are it's few been a and long time between. since
5: Benia and, uh, and bonds which was probably back in what the uh the early 90s or late 80s yeah, that you guys think, were at the peak
0: <clears throat> yeah right right in the late 80s and early 90s when bonds and, and drabeck and um uh, who Vance like and you know, they had some oh, yeah. great teams. Yeah. And uh and you know, they had they had with uh the McCutcheon years just a few years ago, they made the postseason three years in a row, but uh never really could get going and never made it to the World Series of course. But they had some you know, some reasons to watch and I was I would watch I yeah, I probably watched Oh, I don't know, 130, 140 games a year still. Um, oh wow! Even if, yeah, even if they're not that great, I, I still watch them. And so I'm sorry. You... I'm sorry to see Clint Hurdle lose his job. I don't think it was Clint's fault. I think he was doing a fine job running the club
5: how much do you miss baseball not being played right now obviously as this is baseball season it's also masters a week and sports fans are obviously uh living in a different world as many of us are as a result of the coronavirus but how much do you personally miss if you're watching 130 140 games a year i mean you're not just a pirates fan like you're a hardcore pirates fan
0: yeah i, I do miss baseball i miss you know opening day is always a big thing and then there's the, the pirates would have opened on the road and they would have had their home opener last weekend and uh, so, yeah, I miss that a lot, and I, I miss, uh, one thing I'll miss with, I don't know if anybody around the country will be familiar with this, but one thing I would miss this year if the Pirates were playing is Steve Blass will no longer be in the booth for the for the Pirates, and he's a legendary figure from, from the Pirates history, been with the club for 60 years, and he finally hung it up after last season. Um, but I, I miss baseball. I miss the Masters. The Masters was, you know, I, I guess they'll get to it, I think, in November. That's I read? right. And, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh you know, hopefully they'll get the whole um, Grand Slam schedule in and, and uh, we well, don't know on, on the golf side, but I, I do love the Masters, and i was sorry to, of course, see that postponed.
5: What about the Steelers? Do you at least uh, root for the Steelers as well, in which case you have been rooting <coughs> for a team that wins a lot over the years?
0: Uh, I do not. In fact, I grew up on the other side of Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area. So yes. I was a Pirates fan as a kid because of Grandpa, but I grew up as an Eagles fan, and I'm still an Eagles fan today, big Carson Wentz fan.
5: Yes. Yeah, so, do you, what do you think about the contract that they signed Carson Wentz to? Uh, are you a believer long term in Carson Wentz?
0: Oh, yeah, I really am. Um, I think I think Carson Wentz is a rare talent. I think he's got the leadership skills. I think the players around him really respond to him. You know, the question the the question about him always is, can he stay healthy for sixteen games? And he's clearly been you know had shown in this history he's had trouble doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really do think that he's got the talent, and uh, and uh, he's the, he's the guy. You know, uh, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. There's they'll never. They, I mean, they sh- they'll still be building statues to Nick Foles in Philadelphia 50 <laughs> years from now. But you know, Carson Wentz got them into position where they got the first round bye and all that. Wentz, went, I forget exactly what thir- the first 13, 14 games of the year. I mean, the Eagles were a juggernaut, and <clears throat> Foles came in and did a great job. And he's a great quarterback. There's no question of that. And, um, But you know that was that was that was Carson Wentz' team that got them um, to, to the position where they made their Super Bowl run. So I, I really do feel like Carson Wentz is the you know he should be the quarterback for the next 10 years.
5: We were talking to Tim Murtaugh. He's the director of communications for the Donald Trump uh, campaign. Where were you when the Eagles won the Super Bowl? Where did you watch the game?
0: I was at home in suburban Philadelphia at my parents' house uh, watching the game with my father because it had been a long, long time since the Eagles had appeared in the Super Bowl. And so I, I made the trip home so we could watch the game together. Uh, All right. So
5: uh, I I talked earlier on the program about the fact that obviously I have been uh, talking about the coronavirus a great deal on this show and also uh, on uh, my social media feeds and everything else because of its tremendous impact on the world of sports. And I want us to kick the coronavirus's ass because I want sports to come back, candidly, uh, like many people out there. And also we're rooting for as few of people to be Uh, the victims of the coronavirus as possible. And so uh, the Trump campaign and the White House reached out to bring people on to help uh, tell the story of what we can do to combat this. So uh, you're talking, obviously, to a big audience of sports fans. You mentioned the Masters, obviously not going on now. Uh, Could be coming on in uh, November as the plan for the PGA. What would you tell people out there right now who are hardcore sports fans and want to ensure that they get to uh, to watch sports as sooner rather than later that they need to be doing?
0: Well, I think Dr. Fauci, who is part of the president's coronavirus task force and who's up there every single day addressing the country and telling everybody what the updates are, Dr. Fauci is very serious when he says, you know, the social distancing practices that uh, everyone is recommending and most of America is, is observing are very important. And I think early on, Dr. Fauci said, you know, if we do this right and we get through this and we're able to actually suppress the spread of the disease, and it turns out not to have been as bad as some of the projections were, that maybe some of these precautions that, <clears throat> that we're undertaking will, in retrospect, look like it was overreaction. And all that means is that it worked. You know, if it turns out to not be as bad as some of the predictions are, then what, what the bending of the curve, as they say, will have worked. And so if at the, at the end, we want it to look like it was an overreaction, because the truth is, if we don't do this social distancing thing, it will it will be an utter disaster. And so I really encourage people, you know, they're recommending now, really even limit your trips to the grocery store. You don't have to have a family outing to the grocery store. You can designate one person who always goes. It, it reduces Greatly, uh, your chance of exposure—it's just you know—it's really very serious. I know it seems onerous right now. People are starting to get a little bit stir crazy in the house. Maybe they've uh, exhausted Netflix and things that they want to watch. They've already seen Tiger King, maybe watched it twice. <laughs> yeah. <right? clears throat> but seriously, it is really very important because if you if you if we halt the spread of it uh, by limiting person to person contact right now, and it's a brief period. In the grand scheme of things, a few weeks is a brief period in everyone's life, and it would it really makes a tremendous difference. I know it seems like a lot to ask to keep people cooped up and not going to work and not going to the store, not going to restaurants and all that. But it really, really is very important. And the president is an optimistic guy. He sees light at the end of the tunnel. He knows that the virus is going to pass because it will. It will eventually pass. And so we and, and then we have to be able to get back to work because we're not built as a country to have the economy just turned off for 6 or 9 months. We the president wants to get going again, but uh, listening to the medical experts, he'll do that when it's safe.
5: Tim Murtaugh, director of communications for the Trump 2020 campaign, Trump talked to all of the commissioners on Saturday, I believe, had a phone call with them, and then on Monday we see almost an immediate reaction from the PGA Major League Baseball leaks that they're considering coming back, the NHL in North Dakota, the NBA also looking into it. Uh, Do you think the president had uh, had an impact there in kind of letting these leagues know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and they can start to think about the best way possible to come back?
0: Yeah, I think probably so. I, I don't pretend to know exactly what was in their conversation. But, you know, the president is, for one, he's an optimistic guy. He really has great faith in this country and the people who are in it. And he also knows that the people who run these gigantic enterprises like Major League Sports, they know exactly what they're doing, too. You know, they're good Business people and they want to make decisions that are good for their sports, and I think that's that's exactly what they're doing. And I'm sure he shared with them um, some of the projections and some of the some of the ways that we're looking forward here. And you know, some of the news from around the country, we see lower numbers on the daily numbers from New York, and California is in a place now where they're actually sending. Ventilators to other states uh, because they feel like they're in a good place now, and there's a national st- stockpile of over eight thousand ventilators that are ready to go for to state or st- here or there who need it. And so I, it really does feel like the news is encouraging. And over time, I think the, the the experts, the medical experts, Dr. Fauci and others, can see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And the, you know, the president is right. We have got the country has got to get back to business. We had the most roaring economy, the strongest economy that the world had ever seen, certainly that this country had ever seen, and it was artificially interrupted by the invasion of this virus. And we can't just let it lie dormant. We have to get back to work. We have to get this country moving again, and everyone wants that. And I think you know, professional sports are a big part of that. We don't the president doesn't want to risk anyone's safety, but he does want things to be uh, going and opened up again, as soon as it's safe to do so.
5: We're talking to Tim Murtaugh, whose grandfather was the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, coach and manager, and uh, he's the director of communications for the Donald Trump campaign. Uh, We got good news, uh, and I'm sure You've seen it already. The I.M.H.E. uh, University of Washington forecast that the White House press uh, the White House uh, through Dr. Fauci and also through Dr. Burks, has been citing dropped 20,000 in their projected number of deaths down to 60,000. And this kind of ties in with Dr. Fauci saying, put your foot on the accelerator right now. Right. Because things are becoming really a lot better
0: yeah you know and still I mean let's keep it in perspective. that is still a lot of a lot of Americans losing their lives. There's no doubt about that, but you know you saw early on some of these the really doom-casting projections and talking into many millions of Americans and talking about, you know, two-thirds of the country being uh, infected and millions of people dying. And so I think what Americans are doing, I think Amer- Americans are smart people, and they, they, they have a pretty good survival instinct over the centuries. And um, that's exactly right. Keep the pedal to the metal. As Dr. Fauci said, this is the time where you can where everybody can can do their part and keep the curve bending down. And, and uh, you know, if we get through this period, and it's, it has not been pleasant for everybody over the last three weeks, I know that. Uh, and the president is trying to uh, work with Congress again to make sure that small businesses and employers are able to sustain themselves through this period where they're not able to open their doors. And so if we can get through this and get the economy cranked back up again, I think we'll come out the other side and, and, and like the uh, like the president says the society will get back to some normalcy and the economy will take off like a rocket ship
5: tim i appreciate the time this morning good luck to your pittsburgh pirates i hope we get to see them play (laughs) again soon so you can have them to look forward to and uh, we appreciate you giving us the time this morning
0: yeah i appreciate your time thank you anytime
3: this is outkick the coverage with clay travis
5: We are joined by John Morosi. Uh, appreciate him getting up with us this morning. And, John, good news for those of you out there who are just waking up this morning. The model that is most often cited by uh, the White House and other epidemiologists has dropped now um, another 20,000 deaths out of the forecast. There are now 60,000 people uh, who are forecast to die from the coronavirus. Not a positive in any stretch of the imagination. Every death is is certainly unfortunate and untimely uh, for many people across the country, for their family members. But it pales in comparison to the two million plus that early versions of forecasts projected from the coronavirus. We bring in John Morosi now, certainly Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, the PGA, all of the sports leagues are seeing these forecasts as well. And it's starting to motivate some of their decisions, it appears. What is the latest you are hearing about the Major League Baseball season? And thanks for coming on with us.
1: Well, good morning, Clay, and I think one of the key things for all of us to keep in mind here is that uh, as the modeling perhaps evolves and, and reflects the, the changes that have been made across the country uh, at, at various state, local, federal levels in terms of recommendations, and some in some cases mandates, the, the big question is going to be, the any sort of changes in a in a good direction are obviously including the social distancing that has occurred and and the the riddle really for a lot of people and even even the smartest medical professionals here is at what point in time is it then safe to relax some of the social distancing recommendations, and that is where the sports conversation comes in. And yep. the success that, in some cases, in some places that has, that has occurred, um, there is the fear of jeopardizing that by coming back too soon. And I think that is now the, the question of how MLB can potentially bring back our national pastime, which would be a tremendous uplift i think for everybody's mood because you would then have that routine of every day seeing baseball which would just sound so amazing right now but it's balanced against uh the inherent risk of of jeopardizing what tenuous success has existed uh so i think that's that's now the question mlb is looking at a number of different options and i think as we heard it in eddie's uh update the, the key thing is that it's being discussed, and, I, and I'm, I'm fully supportive of it being discussed. I'm not going to be a naysayer and, and suggest, oh, this shouldn't be put forward because it's, it's too early in the process. I, I think you have to wait for all the various sign-offs to occur by the health officials and by the governmental officials before the plan is put into place. But at this point in time, we have no games to watch and no games to put on. Um, MLB is doing its job, and the union is doing its job by thinking through the rhetorical steps here and then a month from now i think it's prudent to look up and see okay where are we on the curve what is prudent to do what is safe to do and make a decision at that point
5: um the major league baseball owners and the players association both have to agree when the league decides to come back do you think there is a good rapport between the players association and the owners right now such that both are working in the same direction or is this something where players may feel different than owners uh, might about the return?
1: Well Clay that's a great question because I think it's it's a nuanced answer. Number one I think there's been very robust and positive dialogue between mlb and the union throughout the coronavirus crisis and uh, we've seen different agreements reached as it relates to player pay player service time that you and i discussed in the last couple weeks that i think are really productive and collaborative and to me convey that when the time is right To get back on the field that these two parties will find the fairest and most equitable way to do it and also safest way to do it as well. There's going to be a lot of conversation around it. I think they're in a really good place. That being said, Clay, do I know and believe with certainty that the entire group of players would theoretically all sign on to the fact that to play this Major League season, perhaps you might have to leave your family for Four, four months, four and a half months, and and live in one central location in a full quarantine without being able to see anybody outside the bubble, I, I'm not sure that you could say with certainty that everybody would sign on to do that. And I'm not sure that those things are mutually exclusive. I think there could be a very robust agreement, but then also some holdouts where players aren't entirely sure that they want to do that. So I think it's it's important for there to be a lot of reliably sound, scientific information that is shared, from the league and union, vice versa, to the players, so they can all make very informed decisions with their agents, with their families. But this is obviously a circumstance without precedent. This is not just a matter of one weekend series being played outside North America and are you comfortable going. This is a a very unique circumstance for the history of our country. And I I think there's going to have to be a lot of robust conversation and really reliable information shared about the risks, about what's going to have to be put in place from a protocol standpoint before a decision is reached in the next month or two and I'll point out to clay that I know the report from Jeff Passant mentioned May as a potential start date but even that has to be fluid there has to be a response to the real-time circumstances as they exist on the ground at any particular time and I would point out that a month ago as of this date so we are less than a month from the date on which Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus, and the NBA suspended its season, and our whole world started to change. That was less than a month ago. So I think for any of us, even those, even people who are not me, who have medical degrees and expertise, uh, for anybody to know what's going to look like a month from now, uh, I think is is really difficult, and and that's why we have to just be so patient, gather all the information that the, the relevant bodies can, and then make a decision when the time comes, several weeks down the line.
5: We're talking to John Marozzi. Uh, let's presume that baseball is going to come back because, as you said, uh, and and we talked about uh, in, in the last time I think you were on the program, to me it was a pretty clear sign that owners were planning on uh, the season being played in some way because they gave the players the right to become free agents, right? They were going to count this season in some way as an accrued season, which made you think, okay, the owners really aren't anticipating that the entire season is going to disappear. Let's presume they come back, uh, which I think is going to happen. When does the season end? Um, And and what do you think is the ideal goal in terms of number of games that would ideally be played? And what I mean by that is, are we talking about a World Series that ends in mid-November, which would be later than normal? Is it going to go potentially further than that? When is the end date for Major League Baseball so far as you understand it?
1: Well, I think the key thing is that, and first of all, I, I would back up and say we're not sure what the fall will bring as it relates to a potential second spike in cases. That that is obviously one uh, known unknown, I suppose, that that could uh, affect things as as we move along. But I, I think as long as you can get in a hundred games, that to me is a suitable length of season. You could probably even go down to ninety or eighty if you had to. Yeah. I also think that there is value. Let's presume that even if, you don't, even if we don't know what the fall will bring and we don't know what the fall is going to bring, is there value in, in getting our national pastime back on the field for a couple months in the summertime, not even knowing what the fall can bring, um, just to have that routine and, and consistency and, and, frankly, enjoyment? Um, I, I think that's a valid idea, even if, it's for, even if it's for two and a half months, if it's safe to do so because of what the game represents and the fact that it is every day, and, that, and that the, the rhythm that we're all missing so much. I think baseball represents something very powerful in that respect. And of our four major sports, given the fact that it doesn't involve a whole bunch of physical contact all the time and it's not played indoors, it probably has the best option to, to get back up and running in a controlled environment. So I, I think 100 games is more than enough uh, playing in a November in a neutral site is certainly viable. There are options here. And I, I think as long as there is robust communication between MLB and the union, um, and, and they have a, a compelling answer to the to what I think is the, the big question looming over all of this, which is what happens when the first player on a team tests positive? Because that's an eventuality. We saw it in the NBA. It's happened in the NHL. It's it's. It will probably happen. So what happens then? Are we at a point where, and this is the big question for the medical officials, at what point in time are they comfortable with the treatment capacity and the ICU bed census around the country, the testing, the contact tracing, potential treatments, all of those variables, which we don't know the answers to yet, what, at what point in time are those, answer, are those questions answered in a positive manner such that the doctors and the medical folks are comfortable with how to handle that one positive case on one particular team? What happens then? I think that is the, the, the big question that must be answered thoroughly, scientifically, procedurally, before the players get back on the field.
5: I think that's 100% true. Uh, What are you hearing about how much time the players need? Because this is kind of wacky, obviously. You said there's no precedent for it. They had started spring training. They were working towards the start of the year. And then suddenly they shut down. How much time are you hearing that guys need in order to be ramped back up to get the season started? In other words, for the second issue, the second iteration of spring training, how much time do we need before the games themselves could actually begin in order to get the season rolling?
1: Clay, I believe the answer to that is about three weeks. Yeah. And uh, that could go up, could go down. But three weeks is is where the the, the number was sort of mentioned in, in – hinted at i think by, by different people involved in the process and and also where that number comes into play from a strategic and and procedural standpoint is this remember the cdc guideline about banning gatherings of beyond 50 people that expires may 10th yeah and and so at the very best case scenario mlb you, you could say okay well almost by definition A baseball game is a gathering of 50 people even a baseball workout when you factor in training staff and staffers with the front office that is basically 50 people at a very minimum so at at that point in time you're probably not really even able to start working out until that CDC guideline uh, cycles out at the very earliest on May the 10th so you start working out in May and you, you kind of start to, maybe May is nationally, depending on where the curves are, becomes a transitional month for us, and we start to have some, some element of activity again. Um, and then maybe you start games in June at a very best-case scenario. So I think it's, you're talking, Clay, a three-week at least spring training but a sort of a tangential point to that is, what then becomes of the players who don't make the final roster, which is likely to be expanded, um, what do the minor leagues look like this year? You live in a great minor league city in, in Nashville. What, what happens there? So I think there's a lot of questions about uh, the overall infrastructure of baseball beyond just the rosters of the major league level. Uh, do we see... Basically, the minor leagues become largely at, at spring training sites. I think that may be a possibility here for 2020 simply because the minor leagues are such a gate-driven league. You've got to have big attendance there. It's not a media-driven league. It's a gate-driven league. And, and the logistics there, public health nationwide, is certainly a major complexity right now uh, across the globe.
5: Who are owners or players that you believe are particularly instrumental in helping to make this decision take place? Uh, We hear a lot in the NFL about the owners who are making big decisions, and certainly the commissioner of the uh, Major League Baseball will be a big part of this. But are there owners driving this bus? Are there players that are particularly influential? Uh, Are there people we should be paying attention to as sort of the cultural signpost here who can give us an indication of where things are headed?
0: Excellent
1: question, Clay. I don't have a particular owner in mind, uh, one given name that is – uh, who, who is the the single leader, uh, but there is the executive committee that the commissioner really leans on a lot uh, and and I think MLB has gradually over years been a very consensus driven league I, I think un, maybe unlike the NFL where, where you do have uh, a handful of owners that, that have such profound notoriety and voice that we we look to those names and those franchises uh, for a, a substantial amount of clout in in the game. I think Rob Manford has always had a pretty good set of uh, connections all throughout the sport because of the nature of his career and working as a top labor lawyer at MLB before then becoming deputy commissioner and finally commissioner. So I think it's a very broad and somewhat level structure of political strength, if you will, across MLB, to such that there's not really one one or two or three spokespeople as owners. But on the player side, I will say this, that, that uh, I do get the sense that the players who maybe by by reputation in the past were not necessarily – especially outspoken and involved uh, in, in bargaining issues in, in the same way that you may see NBA players like LeBron James being very uh, outspoken about major issues facing the league. I do think that the biggest, some of the biggest superstars in the game have been involved here, uh, the likes of Clayton Kershaw. They have had voice and, and participation here. So I think you've got a very engaged group of players, and I, I think, again, that they, they're looking to the same, uh, the same information, the same uh, government sources in terms of when it's safe to play. And, and I do believe that when the time is right, Clay, there will be a, a good amount of consensus among the players and among the owners uh, that when the return to play decision is, is made, it's going to be I think, a very broad collaboration and almost has to be among the owners and the players.
5: We're talking to uh, John Morosi. Is there a possibility? A couple quick questions for you at the end here. Is there a possibility this Phoenix idea has been floated? To me, as soon as I read it, you know, the idea of the players kind of being in a bubble for four and a half months and all those things, I understand that possibility. To me, the way I read it was, I think there's a good chance that everybody could go to Phoenix to start to train. You mentioned it could take three weeks in order for the the decisions to be made. And then almost on a two-week or even week-to-week basis, you can monitor the overall health such that the chances that the entire season is played in Phoenix seems to me pretty low. Uh, If you look at the model, again, I keep referencing the IMHE model that is out there from the University of Washington. It's showing almost no infections starting June one. So potentially you could do this training, like you said, the earliest you could get together in theory, May 10th. That basically takes you through the rest of May and then assess when spring training is coming to a close, spring training part two, what makes sense on June 1. That seems like maybe the most likely outcome here. You're letting everybody get ramped up in May and then you make a decision based on how the country is looking on where and how the games would be played going forward from there
1: be a very plausible way that this goes, Clay, depending on, again, we have to hope that the curve uh, uh, follows the model that you described. Uh, we don't know for sure that it will. We, we can certainly hope that it will. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And I think one of the other dynamics here is the, the, the knowledge of what the off-ramp looks like. I think that the players will want to know, okay, if I get on this plane, if I live in Florida, and if I'm going to go to Arizona for, for, this, uh, for this season and spring training plus season, what are my off-ramps like? When will I likely see my family? When will yeah. there be uh, the ability for me to have any sort of contact physically with, with my family? I think that's, that's a real question. And, and I think one of the key things, too, Clay, is going to be the testing infrastructure. How At what point in time are we nationally – in a comfortable enough place regarding the ability to test everybody at every hospital when it's needed such that if you hear about testing happening at the ballpark upon arrival every other day or every third day whatever it would be that it doesn't look unseemly, that we all of a sudden have all these tests for all the players and everybody involved in baseball, and yet at all the hospitals we may not. I think that's the the testing capacity and the ability to know how to isolate if and when there's a positive test. I just think those things, Clay, are so important and, and must be answered comprehensively before anybody gets on a plane and goes to Arizona for what, to your point is, it could be a, a, a three-week period, and then maybe we go back, in the best-case scenario, back to our, our home cities, maybe to play without fans for a month or two. Um, or uh, if, if they end up having to stay there for a long period of time, there has to be total transparent thought and idea about what those schedule options look like A, B, C, D, and E, and probably more than that as, as we move
5: forward. Last question for you. It's hard to think of positives, but if I am the Houston Astros, They were number one story in sports, number one story in all of Major League Baseball for months. How many guys are going to get pegged? How big of a story is this going to be? Rob Manfred, you know, whether or not he handled this correctly. I feel like that story has totally disappeared. On a positive side, if you are the Astros, are you like, my goodness, we managed to dodge a whirlwind here? Because I think people are just going to be so excited to have baseball back. They're not going to be looking to take a pound of flesh from the Astros like they would have if the season had been totally normal
1: the current circumstances of the world and our nation uh, have given us all a lot of perspective. And I, I, I certainly think that when we're at the ballparks again, and, and again, we don't know when there will be fans there uh, to, to render a, a, a verdict or an opinion or, or an emotion. Oh, that's a good point as well, all. yeah. <laughs> right, so we're not, we're not entirely sure about that to begin with. But in general, I, I would say that, that just as sports fans, as people – if and when we get our, our national pastime back this year in all of our sports, uh, I, I do believe it's going to be a moment of joy and shared national, global experience to the point that uh, I, I would say the things that we used to worry about a couple months ago probably will not seem quite as urgent. I think that's, a, that's probably an understatement. And uh, I, I, speaking just for myself, I would, I would just be thrilled to be back at a ballpark in any context this year. And so let's, let, let's keep all doing our part with uh, – social distancing and hand washing and all those great things that we're hearing about from our uh, governmental officials and and do our best now so that way hopefully we'll be able to enjoy our national pastime here before 2020 is over
5: good stuff my man we'll talk to you again hopefully with continuing better news as sports get closer and closer appreciate it Clay I always love catching up my friend all the best to your family same to you and yours uh, that's John Morosi at j-o-n-m-o-r-o-s-i follow him